And, you know, what we're looking at tonight is the ending of a prayer. And I think it's, it's very easy for us to be pretty timid in our prayer. And I think the older that we are and the more disappointments we've faced, the more setbacks that we've gone through, the harder it is for us to pray actually God-sized prayer. Um, and I say that, and yet, if, if you will ransack your memory, if you will think about things God has done in your life, things God has done in the life of this church, like two years ago, who in the world would have expected us to have the kind of blessings we've had in these COVID years? I mean, we were battening down the hatches to ride out the storm. We didn't know whether we were going to be, you know, second wind in terms of, of finances and other kinds of things, and instead it's just been incredible years. And then for years we prayed for um, some kind of connection with church planting, and uh, God made us wait and wait and wait, and then suddenly he says it's time, and now God is letting us be part of a work that's actually, we're able to help them, but they're, they're helping us understand how church planting works and have a vision for it and, and be able to put our shoulder behind it and use the resources God has given to us to spread the gospel, just like Ivy has spread in my neighbor's yard, into my yard, into my, you know, everywhere. We want the gospel to spread that way super abundantly. So, as Paul, he has a beautiful prayer that we looked at uh, last week, being God-filled, the fullness of God. And, and the, the way one person described his prayer request was that they were audacious, audacity. And audacity means you're asking for m- maybe more than would be reasonable. Why would he do that? Well, the way he ends his prayer explains why. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Short, power-packed verses. Now, why are these verses here? And we, we see that far more abundantly. It's a very colorful uh, passage, but I want us to, to really get a grip on why he's praying what he's praying. You'll notice here at the beginning, the way he starts, now to him, then he's got all these words into him, in between, and then he picks up again here. These two go together, Okay? He's describing him. He's describing God, what God is like. And that's going to tell us why God should get glory, why he should receive the praise, why God is so great and people ought to acknowledge that he's great. So we're going to start with this, the great goal of the gospel. Sometimes we think the great goal of the gospel is, is to see people saved, and that's, that is a goal But seeing them saved, seeing them rescued, has a goal beyond that. 
There, there's a goal to people coming to Christ. This is why we don't trim the gospel. This is why we don't change the gospel. We don't want to just look like we're successful. This is why we want to actually see real success where people are transformed from the inside out. They're actually born again. They, they actually have the power of God in them um, because the great goal of the gospel is now to Him be glory, to God be glory. This is not primarily about the amazing Apostle Paul, who was willing to put his life on the line and travel all over kingdom come and, and be considered an enemy by his Jewish brothers. And ultimately, uh, he's write, writing this from prison um, because of his trying to reach the Gentiles, ultimately. And, and eventually, Paul is going to be beheaded for Jesus. But the gospel is not about the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul illustrates the gospel. What God did in his life illustrates how amazing the gospel is. But the gospel, the gospel is not just about the gospel. The gospel is about God. It, it's to show how amazing God is. The ultimate goal of the gospel is to shine out the splendor. Think about um, sunshine, looking straight into the sun, the amazing splendor of who God is, his power, his love. So he's not just a powerful God that crushes everything in his path. He's also amazing in his love. His grace, he treats people that deserve to be judged forever with unmerited favor, lavishes on them an amazing inheritance, and he does it with perfect wisdom that is so stunning that even the angels will stand back and applaud for generations to come. This great goal of the gospel, um, the way God saves sinners, the way He makes them saints now and forever, this great goal is what is driving Paul's prayer for the believers in Ephesus. Um, He's talked about these believers. They were alienated from God. They, they were strangers to the covenants of promise. They, they were without hope in the world. And now they've been grafted in. They've been included among the people of God. God has actually so filled them with the power of God that they are a living temple, temples for worship that displays God's glory. And so this goal is what unleashes prayers and expectations beyond anything human beings can do. It sails into the ocean of what only God can do. If what the gospel produces in people and in the world were, were only human, what is humanly possible, there would be nothing for God to get credit for. And, and this is something that we want to think about when we think about even as we gather as a church family here. If people can explain what, what's happening among the church, the people of God at Hampton Park, if they can explain it in terms of budgets and buildings and techniques and, and strategies, human strategies, then it's not good enough. There has to be something about it that points to God at work in people's lives as changing them. There's plenty of churches that are this big that have buildings like ours that are dead as doornails. 
They have orchestras, they have choirs, they have Sunday school, they have multiple services, they have gobs of money, but God is not there. So, you know, whatever happens in our world, whether the economy's up or down, whether the politics are good or bad, whether, whether it feels like everything's going great or not, the thing that we're longing for is for God to get glory. And, and that leads us to the question, why does God deserve glory? What, how, how does that glory get there? Look at how he described it. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. So lots of really big ticket words here. The, the, the first word, we've seen this one before. This is the word that Paul likes to use. It's the word we get dynamite from, word that's often used for what's miraculously, miraculous level of ability. Okay? He is able, he has a miraculous level of ability to do. So, sometimes people look at God as kind of an idea or kind of like a, like, you know, this, and He is spirit, and He is infinite, and if He hadn't revealed Himself, we wouldn't even know anything about Him. But, but God is not sitting in heaven, sitting around doing nothing. He is a doing God. He is able to do, and he is active. And he's doing far more abundantly, and Paul actually, actually coins this term. He likes to pile up words um, that, that make the point. Um, somebody, there's different ways in English we try to get at it. Far more abundantly is one way. One translation puts it vastly more than more. One puts like ivy. No, just kidding. <laughs> Immeasurably more, infinitely more, no limits. Okay? He is able to do beyond the limits, unlimited resources. He's able to do more than what we ask. God wants us to pray, but you, you do understand. I mean, Paul has just asked a lot, but you do understand that your prayer is not the limit of what God can do. In fact, in Romans 8, we're told that we don't, a lot of times, we don't even know what to pray or how to put it into words. And the Spirit is going to translate. Have you ever prayed for something? And it's like, actually, Paul, you mentioned it uh, tonight. You're praying here, and God answers here. Spurgeon, um, there's another great book you should read called Only a Prayer Meeting. Um, by Spur Spurgeon wrote lots of stuff. He was prolific. He was amazing. But, but, but he talks about, I, I don't, if God were to hand me like the keys, and to say, look, whatever you ask, I'll give you. I'm, I'm just turning it over to you. He said, I wouldn't want to give that back because I, I'm, I don't, I'm not wise enough. I, I don't have the insights that I need to pray all, to ask for all that I should pray for. I'm, I'm not always going to pray in the right way. And so God is able to do far more abundantly Above all that we ask, 
Like my prayer is not the limit. So, you know, sometimes when we're trying to encourage people to pray, we say, well, prayer did it. No, it didn't. God did it. Pray, prayer is talking to God, and, and you're, what you're doing is you're, you're laying something out before God. I mean, there have been times I've just prayed to God. I had no idea what to do or how to get out of the jam or how to accomplish, and it's like, God, you've got to deal with it. God, you've got to, you're going to have to intervene. There's some, I, I'm at wit's end, and someone has said at wit's end corners where you meet the miracles. And, and over time, we get to see that kind of thing. But even more than what we ask, I mean, this, this is literally mind-blowing. This more than what we think, more than what we understand, more than what we can perceive, uh, beyond what we can imagine uh, God. I mean, what we think, have you ever thought about something like, I wish, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if God did this, but you're afraid to even pray it? Okay, so that, we pray this, we articulate this, then we, we're thinking this, maybe, and God can do more than both, more than we ask or think. Well, how does He do that? According to, we've seen this before, remember, according to his riches? So, this is in, in line with and measuring with the power at work within us. This word and this word are related. It's back to our dynamite word, dunamis, miraculous power. According to the power. Now, we know God is powerful. I mean, you can't watch a sun rise or a sun set or see a hurricane sweep through or, or stand at the edge of the ocean without knowing God, the creator, the sustainer, is powerful. We know that. But what is beautiful and what is gospel is this within us. Within us. How is that even possible? Well, you know, John has, in First John, you know, he's talked about the anointing that we have. Um, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul has talked about resurrection power and, and wanting the believers in Ephesus to actually experience power at that level, power that brings dead people to life. And by the way, if you're actually born again, You've experienced resurrection, power. You were dead in trespasses and sin. You, you, were, you were sold in sin. You were part of darkness, and the light came to you, and God's seed was implanted in your heart. You received life. So, this is within us. Whoever, whoever's been born again, who's regenerate by the Holy Spirit, has been given life from God, the Spirit of God indwells that person. And earlier in the prayer, Paul has prayed for inner strength, the strength of the Spirit that is in them. So, the unlimited resources of the infinite God are brought to bear not just in the general history of the world, and we pray about that, but are brought to bear within us. So, it's not just about the crowd, it's about the change. 
of disposition, of what I like, of what I desire, of how I want to live, and the ability to actually live that way within us, transforming us from the inside out, changing our life story beyond the limits of what we could ever think or ask for. Now, I know that a lot of times life doesn't feel that way. It really feels mundane. It, it often is very disappointing. It's, it's often very hard. And by the way, Paul knew hard, right? Like you, you remember his journeys. You remember the kinds of things he went through. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was hated. He, was, he had a price on his head. He, he knew how hard life could be. So it wasn't like he's in some ivory tower going, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if... No, he, he's, he's been in the, the rugged terrain of life, but, but at the same time, he's seen a transformation even in his own heart and life that can't be explained apart from God. And, and this is what we long for. This, this is what we pray for. When we think of gospel endeavor, when we think of how much people could change we look for, we long for, and we pray for what only an infinite God can do. We pray this for our kids. You know, we, we often, you'll hear a testimony like, I grew up in a Christian home. Well, that's not why you're saved. There's lots of kids that grew up in a Christian home that are lost as lost can be. They never trusted in Jesus. They never were born again, and their lives tell the tragic story. We pray for our kids that God will take over their life and do what only God can do. That God will take our feeble efforts to train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and God will plant life in their soul and, and change them. We pray this for our co-workers. We pray this for our fellow church members, not all of whom are actually born again. We, we try to make sure that they are, but we don't know that they are. And we pray that God would be at work we pray that he would be shining out through them. We pray that, they, that, that God would be pruning and, and weeding and would be growing in them what is truly godly. And the promises of God throughout history are nearly always pushing us beyond what is possible. We I mean, go all the way back to the beginning. I mean, the fall, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. I mean, this is, this is the day God pronounced death on the human race. This is the day it seems like Satan won. Or, or what about Abraham and Sarah? You're going to have a kid. Yeah, well beyond, you're too old to have kids, but you're still going to have a kid. And, and ultimately, your offspring is, in him, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Impossible. Impossible. Or Isaiah 7, 14, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So said the angel to Mary, how can this be? Miracles are God's stock and trade. He does far more abundantly. This is his business. This is what he does. This this needs to ignite the way that we pray. And then this leads naturally because about this within us, through whom does God get glory? Well, to him 
be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Now, it's not that hard for us to see how God will get glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, the Messiah, the God-man named Yahweh saves, I mean, he is the light of the world. He's sinless. He does miracles. He teaches like, I mean, we get how Jesus would bring God glory, but in the church? Have you been to a church lately? I mean, really? And, and like we think about it, we can think about it in glorious terms, but like, like as you get to know the people, the brothers and sisters make up the church, and, and, and you grow to love them dearly, but I mean, we're all just kind of regular people. Regular problems, um, weakness, mistakes, sometimes pretty dumb, uh, sometimes pretty smart, but never as smart as we might think we are. Um, the people who belong to Jesus, Jew and Gentile together, connected, all ethnicities at a time when the world was very divided, more than ours is even now, in all places, in all generations, this pervasive love that Paul has prayed for among them that, that not only is toward one another, but reaches out to those who have yet to believe and someday will. God gets glory because what is happening in the lives of sinners saved by his grace and, and that it would be impossible but for the miraculous, infinite power of God at work. And what's key is this in Christ Jesus because there is no church apart from him. It's the connection with him, the Messiah, the God-man, Savior, King. He's the living connection, the, the one who has made all this possible. We can't be God's people apart from him. He's opened the door. He's removed the barrier. He, he has given us his life. He's head of the church, and we're his body carrying out the will of Christ, the head. The people themselves, including you and me, we're just average human beings. Look, if we were more than average human beings, if we were amazing like the movers and shakers of the age, then it, we would steal glory from God. And that's not the point of all this. The point of it is that God gets glory. So, you know, when you get maybe a little jaded or a little disappointed that your brothers and sisters in Christ end up having feet of clay and they end up doing some pretty dumb stuff and maybe saying or doing things that are hurtful, and you've got to work it out, and it takes some time to... Just don't let that make you bitter and sour and turn away from the gospel. Let that remind you that but for the gospel, this is all there would be. Let, let it remind you of how miraculous it is that there is so much good that is happening in these lives. And, you know, part of what, what helps, if you get to know the life story of people, you find out that even though they've got plenty of problems still, you should have seen them before Jesus got hold of them. You, you should have seen where they would have gone had Jesus not got hold of them. 
and, and God's changing them. So, finally, we, we look at this text, and it tells us, answers the question, how long will God get glory? Okay? Throughout all generations. I'll use the fat side. All generations. So, we're talking about your great grandparents, your grandparents, your parents, you, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your great-great-grandkids. We're, we're talking about generation after generation after generation. It's never obsolete. It's never out of date. I mean, we are reading the text written by a man who lived in the first century. We are living two millennia later, and it still works people are still being transformed. I mean, you can pretend like God doesn't exist. You can pretend like His Word is just a fairy tale, but how are you going to, what are you going to do with the transformed people? The people are still being transformed through the gospel. What are you going to do with that? Where's that coming from? It's not just psychological. They're changing because of the power of God. In reality, there can be no such thing as a post-Christian era. That's only a philosophical term. It's not a term rooted in reality. And this is not only throughout all generations, which would be all human history, but also forever and ever. Literally, literally to the age of the ages, to the eon of the eons, we talk about in the tabernacle and temple, there is the holy of holies. That's the holiest place. This is the age of the ages. This is the farthest possible age. This is infinity. This is eternity. So you can travel a billion, billion, billion years into the future. The gospel will still be working. You know, hopefully, I'm, I would think for sure that by then Jesus will have come back and we'll be in the new heaven and, and new earth. But wouldn't you hate it if you got there and then you, you got to live one year in the new heaven and new earth and God said, okay, time's up. That wouldn't be good news. No. We are going to make it safely home. We are going to make it to the new heaven, new earth, where we're sinless and immortal, and it's going to go on to the eon of the eons. It's going to be forever. And then he ends the prayer with, Amen. So be it. So be it. This is what we've got hold of with the gospel. This is what God is doing in the earth. This is the most amazing thing that's happened in human history. This is the most amazing thing. It's going to bring God glory forever. It's big. It's really big. It's not a flash in the pan. It's not confined to the southeast of the United States or to the Western world or to the Mediterranean world or to the 20th, the 21st centuries. It's throughout all generations forever and ever. The great goal of the gospel is that God will get glory, and He deserves it because He does far more abundantly beyond what we can ask and think, and He does it 
in the church, in Jesus Christ, to whom they're connected to God, through whom they're connected to God, and it's going to last forever. This can make you happy even on a Monday morning. If the whole world burns up, you're still good because this is at work. Let this set your prayers on fire. Let this give you joy in living for Jesus, whatever happens. The best is yet to come, but we're already tasting it now. May God be praised to his eternal glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and thank you for the way Paul just lays it on thick here with words to try to get at how amazing your good news is. And I pray that it would inspire us to pray, to live in line with the gospel. We thank you, God, for the little sampling we heard about from Logan, Utah. And God, we've seen you at work here as well. And God, we pray for you to be at work. We pray for you to do things in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our world that we can't even imagine. We pray for you to take the evil that men might seek to do and turn it for good, just as you took the cross and the efforts of Satan and the powers of darkness, and you wrought salvation. God, we pray that in our lives, in our world, for your glory.